when I was a child for, you know, me fidgeting in school, finding it hard to concentrate. But because I was like well-mannered and bright, it kind of got a bit of brushed under the carpet. And it was only in my later life, I found myself in a quite severe battle with uh, anxiety and depression. And I came under the care of a psychiatrist whose actual special field was ADHD in adults. It was just an actual strike of luck. And she just was speaking to me for an hour assessing me. And at the end of the hour, she said, has anyone ever spoken to you about having ADHD? And I said, well, it was brought up as a child, but never really kind of a firm diagnosis. Olivia, how, how has it affected your relationship? That was TV personality Olivia Atwood speaking on ITV's Loose Women in 2021 about being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. ADHD, or Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, is a common neurodevelopmental disorder characterized by age-inappropriate levels of inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. Olivia is one of a number of celebrities who've started talking more openly about being diagnosed with ADHD. This has led to an increase in public awareness of the condition with more adults, particularly women, coming forward for an assessment and receiving a prescription. It's at the point now where the data show more adults than children are being prescribed ADHD medicines. But despite this, experts are still warning that vast numbers of people remain undiagnosed. So what's going on? I'm Carolyn Wickware, executive editor of the Pharmaceutical Journal. And to help answer that question, I'm joined by our senior features editor, Don Connolly, in this month's Spotlight episode. Hi, Don. Hi, Carolyn. So, Don, you've been wading through Excel spreadsheets to unearth the latest trends in ADHD prescribing. What have you found? Yes, well, we've been hearing for a couple of years now that the number of people being prescribed medicines for ADHD in England has been increasing. But I really wanted to dig into whether this was more prominent in adults or children, and also to look at the gender differences in prescribing. So I sent a freedom of information request to the NHS, um, and I found that just as you mentioned there, the number of adults receiving prescriptions for ADHD has risen steeply, especially over the past couple of years. And now, for the first time, there's more adults being prescribed medicines for ADHD than children. Why is that? Well, ADHD wasn't formally recognised as a condition by the NHS until 2000 in children and 2008 in adults. So there's a large number of adults with the condition who were not diagnosed as children. And on top of that, ADHD is lifelong for a high proportion of people. So those that were treated as children are now receiving treatment as adults. And as we said, public awareness of the condition has increased over the past couple of years, largely down to celebrities like Olivia Atwood, who we just heard, and more recently, comedians Sue Perkins and Johnny Vegas speaking publicly about their ADHD. Yeah, I've also seen a couple of TV shows where well-known faces have documented their journeys to obtaining an ADHD diagnosis. Yeah, that's right. And charities say that this increase in awareness of the symptoms in adults has led to more people recognising the condition in themselves and coming forward for an assessment. And that, of course, can ultimately lead to a diagnosis and subsequent treatment. I heard from Beryl Navty, she's a pharmacist working in child and adolescent mental health services, that lockdowns during the COVID pandemic may also have brought symptoms to the surface for some adults. And more are now using self-referral platforms to get themselves assessed. So how does that work? Why did the COVID-19 pandemic uh, bring these symptoms to the surface? Well, I think people that have got ADHD that perhaps hasn't, hasn't been diagnosed, um, they 
sort of cope with life by having a routine, um, knowing what they're doing, when and where everything is. And that was all just sort of turned upside down during the pandemic and the lockdowns when people were suddenly forced to spend a lot of time at home. Right. Okay. So how common is ADHD? Well, the charity ADHD UK estimates that there are around 2.6 million people in the UK, but that over 80% of those are undiagnosed. Wow, that's a lot of undiagnosed people. Yeah, it is. And it's thought that a lot of those are women and girls. But there is some good news on that front because the data that I received during the investigation revealed that the number of females being prescribed ADHD medicines is rising more quickly than the number of males, although it did start from a lower baseline and it's yet to catch up. Is there any indication about what's behind that increase in prescribing for females? Yes, um, ADHD presents very differently in females who are more likely to mask their symptoms than males. So historically, boys have more often been referred by their school teachers for assessment because they tend to be more disruptive than their female classmates. So the recent increase in prescribing for women is likely because there's a large pool of women who are not diagnosed when they were children. Henry Shelford CEO at ADHD UK told me that he believes women are more likely than men to be having positive conversations around mental health and to start conversations around ADHD. Well, that's good news that they're getting treatment now. With this sudden increase in demand, though, is there any sign of potential problems with the supply of ADHD medicines like we saw with HRT shortages? Yeah, I mean, there have been worldwide shortages of some of the modified release methylphenidate preparations. That's a stimulant used to treat ADHD. Pharmaceutical companies have really struggled to meet the increased demand. I heard from Bolu Abifarin, a pharmacist who specialises in neurodevelopmental and learning disabilities, that several brands and branded generics have been very hard to obtain for weeks and sometimes up to months at a time. This has caused issues for patients because different brands have different instructions for use and release profiles, so they're not easily interchangeable. I'm sure that's creating a lot of extra work for pharmacists too. Yeah. But what does all this extra demand mean for ADHD services? Well, as you can imagine, they're completely overwhelmed. Peter Carpenter, who's chair of the Royal College of Psychiatrists Neurodevelopmental Special Interest Group, told me that the increasing diagnostic rate is placing NHS mental health and primary care services under unprecedented strain. So how long are the waiting times? Well, that's a very good question. And it's a difficult one to answer definitively because there's a distinct lack of national data on this. I did try to get some information on waiting times through another freedom of information request to service providers, but I didn't have a lot of luck. Often Trust said that the data on referrals for ADHD were indistinguishable on their systems from those of other neurodivergent conditions such as autism and others cited recent cyber attacks for a lack of data. Cyber attacks? I didn't see that coming. Yeah, me neither. But there was a group of 12 mental health trusts who were affected by a ransomware attack on their patient records software in August 2022. And that resulted in a loss of patient data. But I did have more than 10 trusts respond to my FOI to say that some patients were waiting well over a year for an assessment. And in a couple of trusts, it was as long as four years. Wow, four years. That's a long time to wait. Yeah, it is. And in fact, the Health Service Journal reported just this week on one integrated care board where the waits were over 10 years for an NHS assessment. But even a couple of years is way too long. I mean, it can really impact someone's life. For example, it could affect whole GCSE, A-level or university courses. And there's some terrifying statistics on the association between ADHD and suicide in both children and adults with adults five times more likely to try to take their own life if they have ADHD. 
And I think that really brings home how important it is for these people to get the support they need in a timely fashion. Yeah, absolutely. I also found that even when someone has a diagnosis, there is often a further wait for any kind of treatment to start. In addition to that, Henry Shelford at ADHD UK told me that in recent years, a number of NHS institutions have tried to reduce waiting times for assessments by instigating a screening layer between referral and assessment. What does that mean for patients? Well, he explained that the charity knows of multiple cases where individuals have been screened out as not qualifying for an ADHD assessment. And then later, they've either been diagnosed privately or via a second referral using a different NHS route. There was a BBC investigation on overdiagnosis of ADHD patients through private clinics. Given what you've heard about underdiagnosis in the population, is overdiagnosis really a concern? No, I, I don't think it is. I, th- I think the problem is that years of underdiagnosis combined with a completely overwhelmed NHS service. And that means that some people have no choice but to pay for private care. A recent parliamentary survey of over 7,000 people found that most respondents who had a diagnosis of ADHD had paid for that privately. And as that private landscape grows, I think there'll be some providers who let patients down. Any sign of support from the government to improve NHS services? Uh, well, this issue of waiting times is being raised as a concern in the corridors of power. There have been two debates on ADHD in Westminster already this year. And during both of those debates, the lack of national data on waiting times was brought up repeatedly. And in response, Health Minister Maria Caulfield gave a commitment that the government would look at a data dashboard for ADHD so that information on who's waiting, where and what for can be pieced together. And she also highlighted that there are no recommended waiting times for diagnosis of ADHD and said that the government is committed to looking at that specifically. Okay, but what about money? Well, she said that the government allocated £79 million in the last financial year to boost mental health support for children and young people, including expanding mental health support teams in schools around the country, which she said might help to identify children who could have ADHD and help them to get into the system more quickly. So will any of that funding be specifically ring-fenced for ADHD? No, it it didn't sound like it. Uh, The Royal College of Psychiatrists told me that we urgently require an infusion of resources into ADHD services to not only manage the growing waiting lists for assessments, but also to ensure that those who have been diagnosed are managed appropriately. And of course, charities like ADHD UK are also calling for a significant and permanent increased investment. Seems like the government has its work cut out in getting people with ADHD the help they need when they need it. Yeah, it certainly has. Um, It's great that awareness of ADHD is increasing and that stigma is decreasing. But now we need to see sustained investment in the NHS workforce and in the services for people with ADHD so that they can catch up with demand. I also think that integrated care boards are going to have to think innovatively about how they tackle the long waiting lists instead of sticking to legacy commissioning arrangements that clearly aren't working. Thank you, Dawn, for that quick rundown on ADHD prescribing. No problem. It was a pleasure. As ever, if any of our listeners want to get in touch on social media, use the hashtag PJPod or email us at editor at pharmaceutical-journal.com. We're always happy to hear any of your ideas for the podcast. Bye for now. Bye-bye.